baby. It is The Edge here on TSN 1050. We are streaming worldwide, tsn1050.ca. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I am Aaron Karolnik. We'll be joined by Justin Cuthbert of Yahoo Sports, who covers the Maple Leafs in just a moment. But, wow, what a day to be talking sports and talking about gambling in sports. We have the Leafs and the Canucks tonight. The Leafs coming off a big win over the Habs last night, clinching a playoff spot in the North Division. Very exciting there. No surprise, but it's solidified and pretty certain they'll be playing the Habs in round one. The Raps, a huge game tonight against the Denver Nuggets, a team they smashed back in March a team that was with Jamal Murray then, without Jamal Murray now. And the Raps, four-point dogs tonight in Denver. That's a big one. We have J. Lou, Josh Lewenberg, who covers the Raps for TSN in about 30 minutes. But tonight at 8 p.m. Oh, whoever made that little music sting should be commended and being given large amounts of money because it's a spine tingler. Yes, it's the NFL draft and Mike Lombardi, former NFL general manager, who covering who is covering the draft for VEASAN Live down in Las Vegas at 8 p.m., a very special show there. He's going to join us in about 18 minutes. Can't wait for that. Can't wait to chat with one of our favorites. It is Justin Cuthbert, who covers the Leafs and the NHL for Yahoo Sports. Good morning, Justin. And does that little sting, that little music, give you any tingles like it does me? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's sort of caught up to me a little bit this year because uh just been so focused with what's going on in the NHL and this condensed schedule, but... I remember last year it was just like it was it was much needed the NFL draft something oh, yeah. to put some money on just because we were in the depths <laughs> of uh no sports and uh I didn't do too well but it was uh it was good to have something at least that you could uh, throw a wager on. Yeah, last year's NFL draft not surprising because sports was shut down at the time and there was nothing really going on in our world we're all kind of just locked up in our homes was the most bet on NFL draft by a massive margin so you hope that will continue into this year and on the subject of continuing the Toronto Maple Leafs continuing to perform well that was a bad segue I apologize to our audience (laughs) continuing to perform well a 4-1 win over Montreal last night and tonight they have the Vancouver Canucks a team that was crushed by Ottawa 6-3 last night so both teams on the second half of a back-to-back we expect David Riddick in net for the Leafs Braden Holby for the Vancouver Canucks and I'm looking at the line tonight Justin the Leafs are minus 360. They are the fourth biggest favorite of NHL any NHL game this season. And we know Vancouver beat the Leafs a couple times earlier this month. Do you think that line might be a little bit out of control, my man? Yeah, I mean, it's it just on its surface, it's out of control. But this is, uh, this is sort of the problem, I think, with betting on single NHL games is that yeah, the value side is certainly the Canucks here, but do you really want to put money on the Canucks in this spot? I don't no. personally. This is definitely a pass in terms of single game betting, uh, but this is, uh, I think, a pretty big one for the Leafs. I mean, uh, I think they want to get that bad taste out of their mouth after losing a couple to Vancouver right out of their COVID pause, uh, and then both of them being on a, on the second half of back to back. Clearly, one team is in you know been in midseason form all year, and one's trying to catch their breath after uh, what's been a really uh, busy start after a long layoff. So uh, I sort of understand where the odds are, but uh, that's, that's, uh, that just signals pass for me. 
Yeah, and one thing I'm really keeping an eye on as the season grinds to a close is the condensed schedules for teams like Vancouver and Montreal, where they're playing a lot of games in very little time, and they're coming off COVID pauses as well. So perhaps there could be some opportunity when it comes to betting against those teams. I think that opportunity is screaming tonight. Some trends to note ahead of tonight's Leafs and Canucks game. Uh, the Canucks are 1-10 and in their last 11 meetings in Toronto, and the under is 12-2 and in the last 14 meetings between these two teams. So expect a Leafs win and an under of six goals. So I want to ask you, and we are joined by Justin Cuthbert of Yahoo Sports, who does a terrific job covering the NHL and the Toronto Maple Leafs for Yahoo. We talk about the North Division and the Toronto Maple Leafs, being the top dog by a significant margin. And that doesn't really apply anywhere else in the NHL as far as the division leaders. You think about a division where you have Vegas and Colorado. You think about the division where Pittsburgh and Washington and the Islanders are are all in the same division. The Leafs don't really have the same competition as far as a team that can stack up with them. Does that make you more likely to back the Leafs with a Stanley Cup future? I just considering that it's pretty likely that they're going to get to the conference finals. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a pretty good bet at this point. Uh, obviously, the Leafs have a ton of ton to, to uh, prove in the in the postseason. Um, haven't won a playoff round in this era. Haven't won a playoff round in a very long time. So I, I think they do have a lot to prove once they get to the point where they're actually playing uh, the teams that belong to other divisions. But it is probably a decent bet right now because it's an easy hedge out. I think... You you, yep. you believe that the Leafs can get through the first two rounds just because they are clearly the most superior team in the North Division. And then once you get to a Final Four, anything can really happen, but you have this big plus money price tag that you've already bought, uh, and, and those odds have, uh, will obviously have shrunk by that, and you can sort of you know bet the series or so on and so forth uh, to make sure that you're not losing any money. So I think for that reason alone, the Maple Leafs are a really good Stanley Cup uh, you know, futures bet. Um, but I do believe that there's going to be a process to this thing in the end, and uh, it might be like trying to catch up to a hundred mile fast, a hundred mile per hour fastball once they get to that third round. If in fact they do get to that third round, because uh, some of these teams uh, that would be considered the the elite, the Carolinas, the Tampa Bay's, the Colorados, the Vegas's, they might just be a completely different look for Toronto if and when they get there, uh, and that might be uh, difficult to adapt to. Yeah, it's it's going to be very difficult for us to process because we've seen only teams in the North Division for all these months now. And you think if the Leafs do indeed get to the conference finals and play a team like, let's say, Tampa Bay or a team like Washington, a team that they haven't seen, and, and I suppose it goes both ways. So that could work in the Leafs' advantage as well, I suppose. But, you know, I guess you got to factor in the potential of crowds that are, I believe, in 27 NHL arenas now. Maybe 20. I'm thinking of the NBA, actually. I guess not in Canada. But, yeah, certainly teams in the in the uh, south of the border are playing in front of crowds. The Leafs haven't done that at all this year. So when we're looking a little bit further down the board, we talked about some of the best teams in the NHL. Do you see any value from... And I guess I'm looking at a team like maybe St. Louis, who very well could play Vegas in the first round. And Vegas is running off 10 wins in a row. They are piping hot. But do you think maybe St. Louis or is there someone else that you see that could provide some value if you're looking at 20-plus to 1, uh, maybe to get very deep, if not win the Stanley Cup? Uh, just quickly on, on the Leafs point, one more. Yeah, sure. The crowds being there. 
that's another thing that's probably going to work against the Leafs is they're probably going to be displaced in playing in, you know, maybe a completely bland neutral barn in maybe Buffalo or whatever. And that's something that's going to be a serious disadvantage for them if they get to the final four. But looking at the board a little bit further down, I, I think Pittsburgh catches my eye a little bit at plus 1600. Uh, I think the East is wide open at this point. They're one of the hottest teams in the East. We saw what they did four or five years ago where they made a switch at coach. Uh, this year was a switch at the executive seat. Uh, and all of a sudden they just were, you know, the highest performer in the league uh, throughout the rest of the season and won the, uh, won the Stanley Cup. Uh, and we could see something similar to that happening this year with the changes that they made with uh, Ron Hextel and Brian Burke coming in. The Jeff Carter trade is looking like one of the better trades of the deadline. I mean, this is still a player that can perform at a pretty high level, and they're paying him just over $2 million because uh, the LA Kings agreed to retain 50%. So I think Pittsburgh at that money is a good roll of the dice in the East division. Uh, and if they get to that final four at plus 1600, again, you can do what you need to do to make sure that you don't lose that wager or lose the balance of that wager. So a little bit further down, Pittsburgh is catching my eye. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. You look at the East, I think like Washington, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, and Boston, you could pretty much flip a coin as to the debate who's the best team in that division. But then you look at the Central where Tampa, Carolina, Florida, I mean, I, I don't, those are all very quality teams. We know what the Leafs are, and Vegas and Colorado in the West. So maybe the East and the North are the divisions to target. And then once you get to the conference finals, I think anything goes. Uh, a team the Maple Leafs may very well play in the playoffs is the Edmonton Oilers. And Connor McDavid continued just to put on a clinic last night. Three more points. So he needs... 16 points in his last nine games to get to 100 in the 56-game season. And I was browsing an online sports book of, uh, a little bit earlier this morning, and McDavid is now minus 250 to get to 100 points, over 99.5. Do you think he does it, Justin? Wow, I, I didn't expect that you'd have to lay the juice to get, uh, to get it, but I actually think he's going to get there. Uh, I think... All he has to do is perform at the exact level he's performed throughout the entire regular season, which is scoring 1.77 points per game. That's exactly what he needs down the stretch in these last nine games. Uh, and I think if these games were played in a vacuum or as they have been over the last, I guess, 45 or 47 or whatever it is, then I think he would get there for sure. Um, but then you have to you know, think about what the Oilers might look to do down the stretch. Are they going to be locked in that second position? It looks like they're going to be there pretty, pretty soon. So, uh, if the Oilers decide, hey, this isn't the most important thing, and I don't think Connor McDavid really cares, then maybe he plays a little bit less down the stretch and, and you see a little bit of load management come in. Um, but if the games are meaningful, if Connor McDavid is still playing 20, 25 minutes a night, uh, I think he's definitely going to get there because the Oilers right now look like a juggernaut. And he's doing this. Uh, I don't, using the word juggernaut uh, is, is uh, sketchy, but... Um, mm -hmm. Right now, they're they're at the actual peak of their performance this year. The Oilers are coming into down the stretch very very hot, uh, and he's playing with Yessi Puliyarvi and Dominic Cahoon, and he's doing this. Uh, I just think that uh, Connor McDavid is on another level right now, and the way that these teams in the North Division have different sort of ambitions and intentions right now. Vancouver kind of sleepwalking, Montreal sleepwalking, Ottawa looks like one of the more dangerous teams just because I think they're going to be really motivated in their last seven games. Uh, I think the Oilers are. Big spot to maybe blow up a few teams out down the stretch if they need to, uh, but I could also see them, you know, Connor maybe not playing as much in the last few games and, and that and falling a little bit short of that number.
Justin Cuthbert from Yahoo Sports, our guest here on The Edge. And we talked about the condensed schedule. You look at the Oilers' schedule down the stretch. They have the Flames tonight. The Flames again on Saturday. Four with the Canucks. Two with the Canadians. And one more with the Canucks to close out the season. So their last nine games, or their last eight games, against two teams that are playing extremely condensed schedules and coming off bouts of coronavirus. So I think those are two, those are two things that will work against a team trying to defend against Connor McDavid because, in case you didn't hear, it's pretty good and pretty fast. Justin, as always, we appreciate you doing this for us, my man, and uh, we love tracking your work on Twitter at JC Cuthbert, and uh, we look forward to having you on again. Thanks for having me on. Share a couple of those uh, NFL draft bets on your Twitter because I might need some entertainment tonight. All right. You got it, buddy. We got J.C. Horn as the first cornerback selected. And Mike Lombardi actually is going to join us, former NFL general manager who's covering the draft tonight uh, from a betting perspective. So I'm really eager to hear uh, what he has to say. He's coming up next. Uh, Before that, uh, as we actually had Mark Dominic on uh, first up this morning, who was the general manager of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, a Super Bowl champion when he was the director of player personnel. He's dialed in. He is plugged into the NFL as much as anyone. He conducts uh, scouting interviews and talks to GMs, media types all around the league. He seemed very certain that Mac Jones was going to go number three to San Francisco, which surprised me because there was some buzz earlier this week that Trey Lance may indeed be the pick, and the betting markets really reflected that, moving Justin Fields all the way down to plus 500. Lance at about plus 130, but Mac Jones is the prohibitive betting favorite at minus 250. So the betting public believes that it will be Mac Jones. Could the San Francisco 49ers surprise tonight and take Lance, maybe even Fields? I can't wait to find out, and we'll ask our next guest about it. Mike Lombardi is a Super Bowl-winning executive and he spent a lot of time with the New England Patriots, a team that is going to be a heavy focus of tonight's activities. He joins us next on The Edge. It is tonight, and it is the NFL Draft, one of the best nights of the year on the football calendar because it represents so much. It represents... Yes, in many ways, the dawning of a new age. Trevor Lawrence joining the professional ranks. He will be the number one pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars tonight. We know that to be certain. Based on the betting markets, it is a lock. We know Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU, will be the number two pick to the New York Jets. But what we don't know is what will happen with the number three pick. The San Francisco 49ers on the board after trading up, trading a significant amount of draft capital in order to trade up to number three, leading many to believe that they had a man in mind to draft. But there is still uncertainty as far as who it will be, but there is one man who we can ask the question to and get an answer on this very subject. His name is Michael Lombardi. He is a former general manager, a three-time Super Bowl-winning NFL executive, doing some awesome work with VEASAN down in Las Vegas. Good morning, Michael. Thank you very much for joining the show. Good morning to you guys. Hope all is well. All is very well. It's a very exciting night, and I know you're doing, uh, and I'm thrilled to see the progress in the gambling community as a guy who loves to make a wager. Uh, You're working with VEASAN, their draft cast beginning at 8 p.m. tonight. 
And uh, I think it's going to be an awesome broadcast because the focus on the NFL giraffe from a gambling perspective is very fascinating. And it starts at number three because we've seen this line shift so dramatically over the months. At, at certain points in time, Justin Fields was the favorite. Now it's Mac Jones as the minus 250 favorite to go number three overall. Do you expect that to happen tonight with the Niners? You know, I've been saying it for the last month on my show, the Lombardi line. I think it's been pretty uh, it's been pretty set in stone to me. I think the reason they made the move up was because they liked Mac Jones. I think they wanted to get ahead of Carolina. I thought they wanted to get ahead of Denver. I thought they wanted to get ahead of New England if New England tried to move up. And so they got themselves in position. And I think the reaction to the to the trade by social media, because everybody's in love with Justin Fields, you know, caused them to have to go back and regroup and go through the machinations of saying, hey, look, you know, we're really considering all three quarterbacks and this is where we're going to go. But I think at the end of the day, I think it's always been Mac Jones. I think it'll be Mac Jones tonight. I think they've said to everyone they're considering uh, Trey Lance as well. If it is Trey Lance, they wouldn't be trying to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and I'm glad you brought up Jimmy G because the rumors, uh, certainly out of New England, Darryl, Dale Arnold uh, from WEEI reporting last night that a credible source told him that New England and San Fran, at least di- discussing the potential of a trade, how likely is it that you think that Jimmy G has moved this weekend? Well, I think he has a no-trade clause, and there's the only way they're going to be able to make a trade for him is they've got to get his contract down. You know, he, they're going to have to really substantially take that contract and lower it, or else the Patriots probably won't be engaged. And that's going to take a lot of a lot of conversations. Typically, you never talk to an agent or talk about a contract unless you've agreed to the trade. You just can't do that. So I'm not sure that that, that report is completely accurate. Do I think the Patriots would be interested in Garoppolo? Yeah, but I think they first have to agree on a trade with the with the 49ers before they're willing to do that. Mike Lombardi, a former NFL general manager, three-time Super Bowl-winning executive, our guest here on The Edge. And sticking with the Patriots, I was looking on DraftKings Sportsbook this morning, and they are the favored team to select Justin Fields, which is interesting to me because they're drafting 15th overall, and then the rumors associated with Jimmy Garoppolo. What are the odds that you believe Justin Fields could end up in Foxborough? Zero. (laughs) <laughs> All right, there you go. I guess we don't really need to expand upon that because, and, and that's I mean, I why don't, I, I think it's just one of these stories that have just kind of gone out of nowhere and it continues to grow. I don't buy into it, but you know, I mean, it seems like it's a good story, and everybody that you know, the worldwide leader is going to keep promoting it, and everybody's going to keep talking about. It. I just don't see it happening. I could be wrong, but I think I have a pretty good idea on what they look for up there. You absolutely do, having worked there for a number of years with Coach Belichick. Let's move to the Atlanta Falcons at number four. They're favored to take Pitts, Kyle Pitts, the tight end. Um, and he's a, I mean, a very enticing prospect, a guy, unicorn athlete, a guy who at that position, a position with George Kittle, uh, we know Travis Kelsey, guys who have just become superstar receiving options. That's become, that's really, that position has really changed in the last couple of years. Pitts at number four to Atlanta. Does that make sense to you? Uh, you know, it doesn't because I think you should pick the offensive lineman. I think there's two boards in an NFL draft room, right? There's the horizontal board, which is all the positions, how they grade one another. And then there's the vertical board, which is the positions from top to bottom. You know, who's the best running back? Who's the worst running back? Or, or who's the running back you would take the least, right? So it, it goes from top to bottom. And I, and I think that, you know, when you look at the horizontal board, the value of the tight end position 
isn't as much as the value of the, the, the offensive tackle, particularly the left offensive tackle. So for me, I don't see that. I, th- I would take the left tackle immediately, but I think that, that there are a lot of people that seem to think the tight end's a playmaker and we're into the Madden. You know, everybody wants a playmaker. Everybody wants somebody who can, you know, do something with the football, which is great, get the ball in the end zone. But the reality of it is you've got to block them too. Well, I'm, and I'm glad you brought up the importance of blocking because nowhere is that more apparent than with the Cincinnati Bengals last year and Joe Burrow. And the prevailing wisdom, at least as far as the betting community goes, has the Bengals at number five selecting Burrow's former teammate at LSU, Jamar Chase, at wide receiver. And if you were to go contrarian and take someone else in that spot, you, that could be a very lucrative proposition. Do you believe that the Bengals will go with Chase at number five? No, I think they're going to take Sewell. I think common sense is going to prevail. I think, look, the reality of it is, is, is you need to be able to block. I think you have a quarterback coming off a bad knee, and you better be able to protect him. And Sewell's one of the best left, left tackles that come out in the draft in a while. I think certainly you would want to take him. So I, I think there's a lot of talk about the receiver. I don't see it. I think it's more talk than anything. You could get Jamar Chase over five and a half draft position at plus one fifty five on a number of sports books. So if you like Mike's take on that, which I do, I think that makes a lot of sense considering Joe Burrow returning from that significant injury uh last year. And let's stick with the wide receiver uh thread for a moment. We talk about Devontae Smith, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. There's been some rumors surrounding him and the Miami Dolphins, him and the Philadelphia Eagles. Where do you think Devontae Smith lands tonight? Well, I think, you know, he could go to Carolina at eight. I think he could go in that eight or nine range. I think certainly in there, I think a team could trade up to go get him. I don't know where or what team would get him. Philly's certainly interested in him. I think there's a lot of teams interested in him. They want a playmaker. So he gives you that. It's just, you know, the problem with this draft, more than anything, is there hasn't been a lot of defensive players. And because of the lack of defensive players, that's an issue. And so these receivers are going to go earlier than perhaps they would because there's not enough defensive guys to push down the board. And there are two big defensive players at the cornerback position, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan Jr. And Horn is is the I guess is Sertan, who's the favorite to go first amongst quarterbacks. And I'm looking at Horn at plus 180. You think he's a Carolina guy and the Panthers drafting at number eight. Do you think that could be a landing spot for him tonight? Uh, I'm not sure at, at, at Carolina. I think certainly there could be a team that trades into eight. Maybe Dallas tries to move up a little bit in the draft to yeah. get him. Dallas is going to take a corner. It's the sense of that. But I'm not sure which one they'll take. Uh, you know, I, I think they're definitely – they like Horn. Dan Quinn coached with Will Muschamp at the, at the Miami Dolphins when they both worked for Nick Saban. So I could see them, you know, having a conversation about J.C. Horn. But I, I think ultimately Sertan's the more complete player right now. Horn's got better upside. Michael Lombardi is our guest. He writes for The Athletic. He does it all when it comes to the, um, the gambling and, and fantasy community and, of course, the broadcasting community as well. Uh, you can make sure to follow his stuff on VEASAN tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern. Uh, let's talk about the running back position. It seems there's two guys who people believe may or may not go in the first round because the over-under on running backs selected in the first round tonight is 1.5. We're talking about Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Do you think we will see both go in round one tonight? You know, I'm, I'm leaning that way right now, only because I think the value of the defensive board is so low. And I think at the bottom of the first, teams are willing to say, look, let's just get a really good player. Let's not worry about, let's not worry about what position he is. Let's just get a really good player that can help our team. And when you go through 
you know, if you put ATN on Buffalo's team with Singletary, uh, or if you put ATN on other teams, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, they could really it could really help them as they move forward. So, I think it's a value proposition that that happens. He is Michael Lombardi, the host of the Lombardi line on VEASAN. And tonight's draft cast beginning at 8 p.m. on VEASAN. Uh, you can make sure to check that out. It's a unique show. We'll look at the NFL draft through a sports betting lens. Looking forward to chatting uh, with you again in the near future, Michael. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks so much. All right. That is Michael Lombardi, who I respect the contrarian views as far as the betting community goes because it seems... At this point, the top five is somewhat set, at least as far as the odds makers go. You have Lawrence, you have Wilson, 1-2. Mac Jones at minus 250 to go third overall. Kyle Pitts is almost minus 200 to go to Atlanta. And that's a spot where I'm just not sure Atlanta will actually go with Pitts, considering they have Ridley, they have Julio Jones. I mean, offense is not a problem with the Atlanta Falcons, and yet... Adding Pitts, I mean, maybe he's his transcendent talent who you simply cannot pass up on. And then you you, you, you go Pitts, Julio, and Calvin Ridley. Good luck stopping Atlanta next year. But I feel like that could be a spot that could be a little bit different than we thought. And at number five, I don't know what, what Cincy does. Will they take Burrow's former teammate in Jamar Chase? Clearly the gambling community favors the answer being yes. I'm not so sure. I could see an offensive lineman going. Maybe that Sewell kid, that could be a good fit there. And then number six with, with the Dolphins, we know the Devontae Smith link with Tua, Tua Vailoa. And I think Miami needs some playmakers, man. And maybe if it's not Devontae Smith, it could be Waddle, the other Alabama wide receiver. I think one of those two goes there. And then at number seven, that's where things really get interesting. Well, I mean, it gets interesting uh, basically at three. But you talk about Chris Spielman, the new GM in, in Detroit, an Ohio State guy. Could they take Justin Fields to redshirt behind their newly acquired quarterback in Jared Goff? And I think it makes a lot of sense. Justin Fields has been falling in the draft, in the draft boards anyways, at least as far as mock drafts go. Is that a reality in NFL draft boards? I'm not so sure. Wouldn't shock me at all if Fields went seven. And if you bet that, it could be a very profitable proposition. Josh Lewenberg, the Toronto Raptors reporter for TSN, is going to join us next. A huge game for the Raps tonight against the Denver Nuggets. We'll break it all down with J. Lou next on The Edge. We're back here on the edge. It's Thursday morning. Looks like a pretty nice day outside, although I just moved into a new condo and the windows are very dirty, so can't really see what's going on out there, but uh, whatever. It's uh, NFL draft night. Very pumped for that. And the man I always have as my number one overall pick joins us on the line now. It is Josh Lewenberg, TSN's Raptors reporter. Joshua, what's up? Not much, AK. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I spent the entire day moving yesterday, so my back a little sore. Thank you very much. Look forward to having you over when things eventually <laughs> return to normal, but I don't know. It seems Inside like a ways away. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to be optimistic here, Josh. And on the subject of optimism, I don't know how much there is with the Toronto Raptors these days after Washington won last night, holding a two-game lead over the Raps and the Bulls for the 10th spot in the East. A big one tonight for the Raps. 
four-point dogs in Denver, a team they did beat quite handily in March. And they had Jamal Murray back then, Josh, did the Denver Nuggets, who's out now. What do you make of the Raps' chances tonight in Denver? Uh, it's going to be really tough, AK. I mean, this whole road trip, it's its brutal when you consider where the Raptors are schedule-wise. Uh, see, you're two games behind Washington. You've got the tiebreaker. That in and of itself, like, it, it's doable, but I'd feel a lot better about this if you flip the schedule, right? Give the Raptors Washington schedule. Give Washington the Raptors schedule, and all of a sudden yeah. the chance is okay and not so bad. But this Raptors schedule, 10 games left, all 10 teams are playing for something, whether it's play playoff positioning, the playing spot. Um, most of these teams are above 500. It's really difficult. And in terms of this road trip, like I don't remember seeing a West Coast trip that's that's this daunting between visits to Denver, Utah. Then you've got the Lakers and the Clippers. You've got a back to back in the middle of it. Four day, four games in six days. Um, this is, I guess, of the four games. This is probably the the most winnable, if for no yeah. other reason. Then the other three are exceptionally tough. The Western Conference leading Jazz and then the two L.A. teams on the back-to-back. Um, and then you consider Jamal Murray is out, the, the factors that you mentioned. This is probably the most gettable game. And even still, we're talking about the fourth-place team in the Western Conference, potentially the MVP and Nikola Jokic, a team that's red-hot right now. They've won three in a row. They've been playing some of their best basketball of the season. And this is sort of what we were saying against the uh, uh, the game against Brooklyn the other day, too. That was also a really tough game and a really good team. But you're like, okay, you need to get this game before you gotta get on the road. That's basically what the Raptors' schedule has amounted to now. You've got to find a way to win some of these really tough games in order to keep pace with Washington. So, yeah, I don't, I don't love the Raptors' chances tonight, and I don't love their chances of squeezing into the play-in. Yeah, I think if the Raptors are have any hope of finishing 10th, Tonight is a must-win, especially considering yeah. what they accomplished against Denver earlier this season. The fact that Denver played last night without Jamal Murray, the Raptors are rested, at least comparative to Denver. you got to get this one today. And by the way, I'm looking at Michael Porter Jr.'s numbers lately. What is going on with this guy? He's got basically been Michael Jordan in the last six weeks or so. Like, Wow, he has been exceptional since Murray's out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did this last year, too, around the end of the season. As the season went on, he's gotten better. Sort of reminds me of OG in that way. I feel like that happens every year for OG is starts off quietly, then builds as the season goes on. And for Porter Jr., I mean, he's a guy, obviously, with the ability, the skills, the talent. We've seen it over the last couple of years. Um, And he seems to be putting it together now, taking advantage of that opportunity with Murray out and, I mean, Denver hasn't missed a beat. They're 10-2 and two without Jamal Murray, and obviously Jokic gets a lot of credit for that, deserves a lot of credit for that. And if anything, I know we talked about um, the odds of him winning the MVP early in the season when there were guys like mm-hmm. Embiid and, and LeBron James ahead of him. Those two have since gotten hurt. Embiid has come back, but probably missed too many games to really be considered um, at the top of the MVP race. So Jokic is probably the favorite there, and and a lot of that is because of how he's really kept this team uh, competitive without Jamal Murray. But, yeah, Porter Jr. deserves a lot of credit for that as well. And I would say if if he had started this run earlier, maybe he'd be uh, a candidate. 
more of a candidate for most improved player. Uh, obviously, Julius Randle probably the favorite for that. But, yeah, Porter Jr., I think he's going to be um, – I, this is a guy with all-star potential. I oh, think. yeah. Well, and, and we remember when he was drafted, he had that significant injury that really scared teams off, and that had a, a great, great pick for Denver and one that could really alter the course of your franchise because you think about that big three with Jokic, Murray, and Michael Porter, uh, when everyone's yeah. healthy, that is a lethal, com- uh, lethal, lethal, lethal trio for sure. So let's go back to our conversation we had in March where you picked – Nikola Jokic to win the MVP as your best bet at plus 280. Today, Jokic is minus 500, Josh. So you did a very good job, and our audience owes you a debt of gratitude. That being said, the season is not over yet, and minus 500, those are daunting odds to bet against. But if you had to pick one guy who could possibly steal the MVP from Jokic, who would it be? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. I know Randall's been getting a lot of love in New York recently. I just don't think, I, I mean, he's come on a little bit late in the season here. He's doing amazing things. The Knicks are on a run now, but we're still looking at a team that's, what, fourth in, in the Eastern Conference. I still think, I, I mean, Denver's fourth in the Western Conference. So, yeah, I mean, Randall is, is a decent bet as a dark horse I think this I mean let's face it it's so late in the season now and and given the Embiid injury and the LeBron James injury I think it's still Jokic's award to lose but I look at somebody like Randall or maybe Luka Doncic as as guys that potentially if they go on uh, or they continue the runs that they're on here and and maybe if Denver falls off a little bit they've got a shot yeah, maybe even Chris Paul. I mean, he's been getting some yeah. buzz lately. You think about the Suns, who are second in the West, like an amazing season. I understand Devin Booker, an awesome player in his own right, but Chris Paul is bringing it on both sides of the court. So maybe if Phoenix can finish first in the West, and maybe if Denver loses to the Raps tonight, maybe falls, although it doesn't seem like they're, actually it's basically impossible for them to fall any lower than fourth in the West. So that seems to be determined at this point. Let's shift from the West to the East. And we saw the Raps play Brooklyn earlier this week. Brooklyn coming out on top without James Harden, who we expect to see probably when the playoffs begin. And the betting odds in the East, Josh, are really interesting to me because Brooklyn, listen, we know how unbelievable they can be offensively when everyone's in the lineup. But we've barely seen that this year. Only seven times did we see the big three for the Nets uh, in the lineup together. And yet Brooklyn's even money to win the East while Milwaukee at plus 300, Philly at plus 450. When you, when you hear odds like that, bet it backing Milwaukee, you can bet, get Milwaukee and Philly, and you could be profitable if you bet on those two as opposed to betting on the Nets. Do you, do you, are you subscribing to the Brooklyn being the best team in the East and the team to beat? No, definitely not. I think, first of all, even if they were fully healthy, even after the trade, when you're looking at the big three and expecting them to be together for most of the season, there was the obvious question mark on the defensive end. Obviously, that's a lot of talent, a lot of offensive talent. But defensively, even in the small sample where we've seen those three guys together, that team was a disaster on the defensive end. And the, the historically, there aren't a lot of teams as talented as, as the Nets are offensively. There aren't a lot of teams that have been able to compete for championships, win championships with a defense that's in the bottom half of the league in, in terms of efficiency. Um, and then 
you consider the fact that, as you mentioned, they're probably not getting their full roster back until the playoffs. And that's asking a lot, too, is to build that chemistry and to come together as quickly as they're going to need to come together. So, yeah, especially as the odds-on favorite in the Eastern Conference, I'm fading them, but I kind of like Milwaukee. Yeah. I agree. You know, like they're they're third in the East, but you look at their point differential right now, it's number one in the East, which would indicate that there's been some bad luck there. They're probably better than their record would indicate. Listen, if, if you're not loving their chances in the playoffs or, or as a championship contender, I get it just based on the history there, how they've underwhelmed in the playoffs. I feel a whole lot better about them if they changed the coach because I think that has a lot to do with it in terms of the way that he's managed his rotations, Budenholzer, in the playoffs. But they've added Drew Holiday. They've upgraded there. They've upgraded, I think, the supporting cast around Giannis. And that's the biggest thing is they still have Giannis. So I'm not sold on Brooklyn. I'm not sold on Philadelphia. You look at how wide open the Eastern Conference is, and I like their chances of coming out of the East. If they come out of the East, given how uncertain things are in the Western Conference, obviously they've got a pretty good shot at winning the championship. So, yeah, when I look at potential dark horses, and it's crazy to call a team like Milwaukee, a team that's had so much regular season success over the last few years as a dark horse, but just based on the odds right now, that's what they are. So I I like Milwaukee. I know we're talking about the East here, but you mentioned Phoenix, second-best team in the NBA by record. I I think they've got, like, the sixth sixth or seventh highest odds right now as, as the championship favorite. They're not a bad bet either. Again, I get why people are fading them. They're young, and and even their leader, Chris Paul, hasn't had a whole lot of success in the playoffs throughout his career. But the talent is there. They're well coached. It's a weird season. So, yeah, give me the second-best team in the NBA for uh, those odds that Phoenix has right now. And I think the L.A. Clippers are a team that's being slept on a little bit too. Much like Milwaukee in the East, the Clippers in the West – you have Kawhi and Paul George, and we know what Paul George, at least going back to last year, did in the playoffs. But the bubble, I don't really know how much I buy into the performance of certain players in those situations. So I like Milwaukee, and I like the Clippers personally. And I like the NFL draft, as you're well aware, Josh. I know you're an Atlanta Falcons fan. They're drafting fourth overall tonight. What are you hoping? What are you expecting from your squad? <laughs> I haven't been paying a whole lot of attention to it. And even the Falcons now, I'm sort of disillusioned over the last few years. of, of <laughs> since, since the Patriots Super Bowl debacle. Yeah, that um, was a tough one. I don't know. Are they looking at a quarterback? I know Matt, Matty Ice is getting up there in, in, in years and age. He is. Well, there is. Yeah, so there's some speculation that it's going to be a tight end, Kyle Pitts, as their pick. And which is weird because, you know, you have, they have Julio and Calvin Ridley and Matt Ryan's. 36 years old, but he's got some time left on his contract, so it wouldn't shock anyone if they decided to perhaps draft a quarterback. And I will let you know, I will text you when the the pick is in for the Falcons, because I know you'll be focused on the Raps and the Nuggets tonight. So you have your you have your priorities, and I respect that. One, one of these days we'll get you back with, as a true, hardcore Atlanta Falcons fan. <laughs> I still have a I think the last jersey that I, that I bought is a Matty Ice jersey, Matt Ryan jersey. I still have it. I, I remember you somewhere. wearing that many times at Centennial College. So, yeah, um, 10 years ago. It was a ago. good look. It was a good look for you, buddy. Uh, always great to have you as part of our show. Thank you for doing this. All right, AK. Talk soon, man. All right. That is Josh Lewinberg, TSN's Raptors reporter. A huge game.
for the Raps tonight in Denver as four-point favorites because, as Josh discussed, the schedule only gets harder from here. Denver on the second half of a back-to-back. And, yes, they have Jokic. Yes, they have Michael Porter. But this is a game the Raptors need in order to get into the play-in. And we need to get to break because our technical producer, 20 Fingers, Christy Averro, looking a little concerned about the clock. We'll be back in just a moment on The Edge. Great track. Great track from our technical producer, 20 Fingers, Christy Averro. Yes, we wrap things up on The Edge this morning. NFL Draft tonight, and the people have been clamoring. The text line, 105050. On Twitter, at Aaron underscore Karolnik. Aaron, we need your draft picks. Who do you like? What are your best props? So I'm going to lay it out quickly for you because we have just a few minutes left on the show. I like J.C. Horn to be the first cornerback drafted. Plus 140. Patrick Sertan is the favorite. I think Horn will go as high as potentially eight. The first non-quarterback drafted. And after Mike Lombardi said what he said about Kyle Pitts at four in Atlanta, I'm not certain they go with Pitts. And there was the rumor that Julio Jones was going to be on the block after June 2nd when his cap hit isn't as onerous for Atlanta in this coming season. I could see some value on Jamar Chase at plus 350 as the first non-QB drafted. That makes sense to me. I also like Travis Etienne as the first running back drafted at plus money. Get him at plus 160. Najee Harris, he's a terrific, terrific back. But he and Etienne, I think you throw it, you flip a coin, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Jets, the Bills, even the Steelers at number 24 snap up one of those two. I think you get the plus money. There's value there. Mac Jones, I think he's going number three overall. And yes, I may be biased in saying that because I have a couple of large wagers on Mac Jones at plus 150 to go number three from a, from about a month ago. He's now minus 250, but I still think there may be some value there. And Justin Fields, if you can find a prop on Justin Fields to go number seven to Detroit, I saw it at plus 900. I think that could be an unbelievable landing spot for Fields. Reuniting, well, not necessarily reuniting, but Spielman, the GM there, is an Ohio State guy. And we understand the history of Ohio State quarterbacks, not necessarily the most successful history, to say the least. But I think Fields is the exception. I think he's going to be an exceptional quarterback in the National Football League, and it would make a lot of sense for Detroit. And yes, they traded for Jared Goff. And yes, the GM there, or one of the, I guess the GM alongside Spielman, really spoke highly of Jared Goff. I'm not buying it. I don't think they view Jerry Goff as a long-term cornerstone piece, but Fields very well could be. So those are my picks, and if they're wrong, don't uh, don't come calling to me because I'm only concerned about Mac Jones tonight. So if he doesn't go number three, it's going to be a very tough night in the Karolnik household. Thank you for being with, with us for the last hour. Thank you to Justin Cuthbert. Thank you to Mike Lombardi, and thank you to Josh Lewenberg for their contributions to the show. We will be back next Thursday. By the way, the PGA Championship just around the corner. Cannot wait for that. A very successful Masters for yours truly. So I've already started to handicap the PGA. I am Aaron Karolnik. Thanks to 20 Fingers Behind the Glass. Back next Thursday at 10 a.m. Thanks for being with us. Oh, baby.